0: Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Good morning, church. We're going to be in a bunch of different scripture verses again uh, today. We're in this uh, series called We Are Harvest. It's uh, locking down the DNA of our church, what our church is about. And so uh, no single passage we're looking at, but a bunch of scriptures that uh, are going to help us understand this a little bit more, understand ourselves a a little bit more. And uh, every uh, business... Every business and a nonprofit leader knows uh, that a healthy organization starts with a clear articulation of the values and the priorities of the organization. And uh, some of you who are involved in, in businesses or you're involved in nonprofits or other organizations will know you've probably had meetings from time to time where you had to go through uh, the values and priorities of your business, your organization, in order to have these things clear. And if you don't do that, There's confusion in the organization or the company, there's a lack of cohesiveness or unity among those that are part of the organization, and then there can be missional drift. You're just off-message and off-target in terms of the purposes, Uh, so whatever the uh, organization is trying to accomplish becomes lost simply for a lack of clarity, people not knowing where they're supposed to be or what they're supposed to be doing. Now, long before uh, business gurus in the last, you know, few decades, business gurus write their books, and long before you could get those books in airport bookstores, long before business gurus put all their videos on YouTube so you could learn more about that, um, long before business gurus were doing the thing they were doing, uh, the Lord had set out the values and the priorities for His organization Uh, Which we call the church, and prior to that, the Lord set out the values and priorities for His other organization called uh, Israel—one people of God, but expressed at a different time in history as Israel. And so, Israel and uh, the church, or the uh, the church in, in the New Covenant, Israel in the Old Covenant, both had great clarity with respect to who they were. And so, there's no excuse. I just want to say it: there's no excuse for a church that loses its way and becomes confused about why it exists. I don't mean to be harsh on any other church, but this is a reminder for us constantly that there's no excuse because the Word of God lays it out for us. And any church that has lost its way, forgotten what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to be doing, has simply stopped reading the Bible. Maybe under the guise of, you know what, I think we need to be more contemporary or we need to be more creative to reach this generation. But listen, we just need to get back to the Word of God which explains to us how to be the church. And so we have so far in this series, this is message five, and so we have already identified our one foundation is Jesus Christ. Uh, We have walked through the great commandment to love God. We've looked at the second commandment, which is to love people. And uh, last week, we laid out what it means to be a disciple with the four uh, W's because we understand that our mission... Uh, from the scriptures is to make more and better disciples of Jesus. So in this fifth message, we're going to focus on our biblical values and priorities, or what we call our four pillars, and simply put for our church, if it doesn't fit somewhere into the four pillars, we don't do it. It has to fit in to the four pillars. And what that does is it keeps us in our lane. And there are lots of churches that forget what the scriptures say about what it means to be the church, and they start doing things that churches were never commanded to do in the scripture. So we have a lane outlined by the word of God. We want to stay in our lane. And so here's what we're going to go after. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. We value and prioritize four pillars. Good. Ready for that? Cesar's ready. That's it. Just you? You're the only one ready? Caesar responding for the whole church. Let's just put it that way. He's responding for all of you, that you all are now ready to understand what we value and prioritize these four pillars. First one is this, unapologetic preaching. The long form explanation of this, which by the way has been with us for the 20 plus years that we've been a church, the long form is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We ground this in a scripture. Each of the four pillars is grounded in a single scripture verse. Uh, we ground this first one in Paul's instruction to Timothy. Paul was the apostle. He was traveling around the Mediterranean world. He was preaching the gospel. He was establishing churches. He was appointing elders. He was training pastors. And that's what we see in First and 2 Timothy. He's writing uh, letters to a young pastor who's leading a church. And in the second letter, he writes this. He's telling him how to be a pastor. And he says, preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready when it's, to preach when it's easy to preach. Be ready to preach when it's hard to preach. Be ready when it's convenient. Be ready when it's inconvenient. Be ready when people want to hear it. Be ready when people don't want to hear it. A lot of times when people say they want to hear the word, word of God, they really don't want to hear the word of God. Sometimes it's very difficult to preach the word of God. And and, and then he also says to Timothy, because he would be going through this as well, preach whether you feel like it, preacher, or you don't feel like it. Like sometimes I feel like preaching. I feel energized. I feel like preaching. And sometimes in season and out of season. Whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it, preacher. Then he goes on to say, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, refute false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching out there. And when we bring the word of God, we're refuting all the wrong things. That's reprove, rebuke, challenge wrong behavior. There's no doubt that as we gather here today, that there may be some people who are engaging in activities that are not according to the righteousness, holiness of God, as the scripture would tell us those things. They're not living a a, a, a ethically pure life according to the scriptures. The word of God is being preached to correct that, to rebuke, to challenge wrong behavior, to call us to repentance reprove, rebuke, and then exhort, encourage. This is an encouragement word. Encourage those who are believing right things. Encourage by your preaching those who are living according to the standards of holiness. And so it's all three of these things. It's refuting false teaching, it's rebuking wrong behavior, and it's exhorting those who are living for God as best they can by the power of the Spirit. And then we're to do all of that Paul tells Timothy, with complete patience. Why patience? Because again, there are a lot of people who are not always excited about hearing the word of God and obeying it. And so you may have to preach a thing 17 times before someone gets it. So with patience, we're we're gonna teach with complete patience and also teach with complete teaching. In other words, we're we're gonna use various teaching methods We're gonna bring the full onslaught of all the ways that we teach to bear so that people will hear the word of God. Now, having laid that kind of out, that's the pillar, that's the scripture verse we base it on, a very important question then comes into play because a lot of churches have been rethinking this idea of preaching over the last decades. The question is this, is preaching as a method Relevant for today's progressive person? Is preaching relevant today? And the answer is no. You surprised by my answer? I was hoping for a little shock. It's not relevant. But the re- reality is, preaching's never been relevant. And by relevancy, what I really mean is, does it make sense in the culture today that you would set aside time on Sunday morning every single week to come here and listen to one person tell you how to live your life? It's not relevant to the culture outside. It doesn't make sense to them. But preaching's never been relevant. We're not into adapting to the times, and that's what I mean by relevancy. No one ever said that preaching was relevant. It's a hard thing. It's a strange thing. It's an absolutely odd thing that you would get up on a Sunday morning when you could have slept in and then made yourself a nice big breakfast and relaxed all day, that you would get out of your house in minus 19 Celsius weather and drive here to hear someone proclaim the word of God to you. It makes even less sense when the weather's nice. (laughs) And yet you do it. You come here to hear the preaching of God's word. And in, 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 in talking about relevancy, not only the act itself, but what we're actually saying, there are those who would call themselves Christian. There would be churches that would say, you know what? It's the hard edge of preaching that people don't like. So we need to round off those edges. It's, it's that it's so hard to swallow. So we need to just sugarcoat it a little bit so that people will actually take it in. But this is exactly what we mean when we say in the pillar, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We're not making excuses for God. We're not apologizing for anything that he said or the way he's chosen to communicate it. We're not making excuses or apologizing because modern sensibilities are offended by the word of God. God. Because modern sensibilities or sensibilities have been offended by the word of God in every era of history, starting with the garden. The first time the word of God was offensive to someone. And in fact, the apostle Paul calls it out. So that key verse that we have that we've attached to the pillar, that's in 2 Timothy 4.2. But the next two verses, listen to, to, to what Paul says next. He says, I want you to preach the word. Why? Because the time is coming. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Man, I don't know if you already have the word today written in the margin of your Bible beside these verses, but that's today, isn't it? Doesn't that describe what we're experiencing? That's spot on for today. It's all the reinterpretation of the Bible. It's it's even churches and Christians saying, hey, I know that that's what that meant then, but I don't believe that it means that today. But the word of God is unchanging. And if it meant it then, it means it today. We're not reinterpreting the Bible. We're not soft on sin. We're not soft on repentance. We're not preaching only the easy parts that don't offend those who are more modern or progressive. We're preaching the whole counsel of God. We preach because that's what God has prescribed. We're, we preach because here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostle told Timothy to preach the word. We're not preaching because it's in vogue. We're not preaching because it's popular. We're not preaching because it makes sense. We're not preaching because it's relevant. We're not preaching because it's the best means of communication. We're preaching because God told us to. Curiously, this was also Jesus' mission. I think often when we think about Jesus' mission, the first thing we go to is, well, Jesus came to die on the cross. I think almost all of us would answer the question that way. Why did Jesus come? He came to die on the cross for us. He came to be raised to new life. You'd be right, of course, in one respect, but would you like to hear what Jesus said about his mission? Because this is what he said at the outset of his mission. This is in Luke chapter four. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to preach his own words. He came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, which by the way, the good news of the kingdom of God starts with the bad news of the kingdom of men. It starts with human depravity. Then he goes on to say this, for I was, he says, I was sent for this purpose. What's the purpose for Jesus coming? He says it was to preach the gospel. Now for sure, Jesus came in his own words. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, but he did so as the outcome and application of the life-giving message of the gospel. So his death and resurrection embody the gospel message he preached. It's all part and parcel of the same thing for Jesus. He embodies the word. But he came to preach. Paul told us to preach. Paul would later write, to help us even understand why this is not relevant, Paul later wrote that the gospel is to be conveyed. He calls it, He calls, in fact, the gospel, or what we do, he calls it in 1 Corinthians 1, the folly of what we preach, or the foolishness of preaching. The gospel is to be conveyed in this way, through preaching, so that, 1 Corinthians 2, 5, faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So preaching then, what we're what we're all experiencing in this very moment is a weekly miraculous opportunity for the power of the Holy Spirit to be shown in our midst. Because it doesn't make sense that you would be here to listen to the Word. In fact, Anytime the Bible is preached faithfully, we lean hard on this verse. It will produce results. God said to the prophet Isaiah, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which which I sent it. So our job, God is accomplishing something through the very unusual practice of preaching. God is accomplishing something. Uh, So our job is to simply preach, obey the command, to be exposed to preaching, to prioritize and value preaching. That's our job. But God's job now is to actually do the work of transforming and saving people. We do our job. God brings the results. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it, God said, and we believe that. And so we want to be a church that gets the Bible open and hears from God. And and so uh, several application points under this for us, first of all, would be this, that we practice verse-by-verse expository preaching. Those two descriptions are not the same thing. Uh, verse-by-verse and expository, two different things, but they go together. Verse-by-verse means that uh, in 80% of our preaching over the last 20-plus years, we're going to get a book of the Bible open at chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to work through every single verse. We're going to read every verse. We're going to work through it. of the preaching that we have done here over the last 20 years, that's what it's been like. So we've preached through whole books of the Bible over all of that time. Once in a while, we're here right now in this 20% of the time, we're doing like little topical series like the one we're doing right now where we're not going verse by verse through a book, but the stock and trade of what we do is verse by verse uh, through the Bible. Uh, Expository, a little bit different than that, means that we get the message from the scriptures. That's expository preaching, whether it's verse by verse or not. Expository preaching is, you go to the word to get the message. We're gonna hear from God, not, hmm, I have a feeling I should preach on this. Let me think it through, and I wonder if there's a scripture that will support my thought. That's not expository preaching. We wanna get the message from the text of scripture. And this is really what we mean when we talk about, again in the pillar, preaching the authority of God's word. We're preaching the authority of God's word, not preaching my authority, not preaching the elders' authority, not preaching the authority of tradition or any other book or any other teacher. We preach the authority of God's word. It isn't our word, it's His. It's not our authority, it's His. And so that's the first uh, kind of application point on that. It, uh, we preach verse by verse, expository preaching. Secondly, um, a substantive amount of time is given to preaching uh, in our weekly worship service. And um, don't go back and look at the last three weeks because they were all too long. Um, but um, you know, generally around 45 minutes of time spent in the Word. And so what we're not doing um this is no slight on the like our daily bread devotional thing but that's like a little it's gonna take you a few minutes to go through it it's just a nice little thought from you know a little devotional thought to help you with your day that's fine it's good serves its purpose but that's not what we're doing here so we're not like little 10 15 minute sermonette devotional type thing we want to get into the word of god that takes a little bit of time to do and so we devote a good portion of our service to that thirdly our small groups study the same message during the week. Generally speaking, all of our small groups that are meeting, there are some that are study-specific, uh, doing curriculum, but the vast majority of our groups are working through questions that Pastor Dwayne writes on this message, and we're just like, you know what, we don't need another message. We don't need to study another thing during the week. What we need to do is unpack what we heard on Sunday and and help, and help each other live this out and apply this in our lives. So We're going to get together and talk about the sermon on Sunday and, um, and then pray for one another as we seek to live that out. So that's a third point. And then the last one is that um, Harvest Kids, Awana, Harvest Youth, Youth all have the same emphasis on the centrality of the Word of God. And so when I think about uh, Jordan leading our Harvest Youth on Tuesday nights, and uh, Jordan, you know, I mean, it's not, youth is not just about uh, food and fun. It's not just about games and snacks. They do have games and snacks, I assure you. But They get together, they hear the word of God. Jordan's a preacher, you've heard him preach here, and when he goes on Tuesday nights, he brings the thunder to our youth. And so that's the same on Tuesday night as it is here. We're we're emphasizing uh, the same uh, pillar, unapologetic proclamation of the word of God. All right, here's the second one. Our second value and priority, our second pillar is unashamed adoration. Uh, Lifting high the name of Jesus in uh, worship. Now, the conversation, one of, one of the greatest conversations, I love studying Jesus' conversations in the Gospels, and one of his greatest conversations is with this woman in John 4, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And it's one of the most powerful conversations for a couple of reasons. But in the course of talking about her personal life, and they're getting like really into the, the details of her personal life, which wasn't great, but she changes the subject to the subject of worship. So like a general religion question, because Jesus was getting a little too personal with her. How many times have you had a conversation with someone and it's getting a little too personal and they change it to some other random religious question that they have? Has that happened to anybody here when you've talked to somebody about Jesus? And that's what's happening in John 4. It's Part of the reason why I love the conversation. So she changes the topic, and this is why it's helpful to us. She tries to change the t- subject to that of worship, because she's a Samaritan. She's talking to Jesus. He's Jewish. And she says to him, like, what's the deal? Like, are we supposed to be worshiping in Jerusalem? Are we supposed to be worshiping here on this mountain? Which is it? So she asked that question, and Jesus graciously responds to her, and then he comes back to the central issue in her life. But but, but by answering the question about worship, he actually blew apart all these stunted notions of worship that both the Samaritans and the Jews had, and in fact that most people have today, stunted notions of worship. Here's what he said to her, John 4, 24, God is spirit, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And in this simple little line of how Jesus answers her question, he gives us two principal criteria for how we're going to worship God. The first is we worship in spirit. And in the context of her question, what was on her heart we find out that worship has nothing to do with time and place. Again, she was trying to lock it down. You Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. We think it's here on this mountain. Which is it, Jesus? He says, you don't get it. It's not about a mountain. Not about a city. It's not about a temple. It's not about Sunday at 11 or 9. You guys know we have a 9 o'clock service, right? There's a bunch of people that were here already this morning. You know that? They got up early. Got to church. It's not about a time and place. It's not about a certain location. Worshiping a God who is spirit, so we worship him in a spiritual way. Yes, we gather for corporate worship. Yes, this is important what we've done here today, to sing praises, to pray to God, to hear the preaching of God's word, to do it together. It's so critical. It's the culmination though, this is what's so important, it's the culmination of all the worship you've been doing all week long as an individual, as a couple, as a family. Your individual spiritual worship in every aspect of my life, I've been worshiping Christ. It's a culmination of that. Or if you're thinking back, going, you know what? I didn't do a very good job worshiping Jesus this week. Then it's a recalibration. It recenters you and brings you back for the next seven days so that you can go into these next seven days worshiping the Lord, worshiping Him in spirit. So that's the first of it. But the second criteria, worship in truth. Our worship is grounded in who God is and in his word. And so it cannot be, and this this has echoes back to the first pillar now, it cannot be a fabrication of our own imagination. So it can't be what so many are going after today. It can't just be a designer religion. That I'm just gonna, I'm gonna create some kind of of religious system for myself that makes me feel comfortable. Remember what Paul said back in in his letter to Timothy, that, that we shouldn't be accumulating teachers to suit our own passions. I'm going to find someone who says something that makes me feel comfortable about God. No, it's according to the truth. It's God's word that teaches us and tells us and sets the parameters for our worship. And so we're bounded by the truth that God alone in the name of Jesus Christ should be adored. We're bounded by that, but we're unbounded with respect to time and place. Worship is all encompassing in our lives. Now, it isn't surprising that the values and priorities of the church, if if you heard last week's message and now you're hearing this one, that there seems to be overlap between our definition of what it takes to be a disciple and what it means to be a church, what the church values. And of course, there's overlap in those things. And with all of that said, we rightly gather for worship corporately, even as we worship him throughout the week. We understand that the first church in Jerusalem was launched. We have the record of that in Acts chapter 2, and that all came upon every soul. Worship overcame the church. They adored Christ because they saw the Holy Spirit working in powerful and evident ways in their everyday lives, not just when they gathered for worship. And I would say further that our emphasis on worshiping together is in anticipation. It's not only the culmination of a week of worship or the launching for a week ahead of worship. But we gather together for worship in anticipation of the eternal worship service. And when you think about these four values and priorities of the church, three of them come to to an end on the day that Jesus returns. There's gonna be no more preaching because there's gonna be no one left to preach to. There's gonna be no more prayer because we're gonna see Jesus face to face. There's gonna be no more witnessing because everybody's either saved or unsaved at that point and the die is cast. Three of the of the four pillars are gone. But this one pillar, worship, is the sole business of eternity, if I can put it that way. So that's why this is so important to us. The picture of, of eternity, the Apostle John was given this vision in Revelation chapter 4. How many people are excited for the Revelation series coming up in six weeks? How many people are excited for that? I'm excited about Revelation 1 to 5 and 20 to 22. Super excited for those chapters. Um, Revelation 4, 9 to 11. And whenever the living creatures, this is the picture of eternity. Take a look what's going on. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. And so that's why we do it now. That's why the worship team prepares. That's why they choose these songs that are gonna allow us to speak directly to our God in worship. That's why they come up here, not as musicians, but as worshipers to lead us to the throne with them. We're we're rehearsing. We're getting ready for We're singing and worshiping in anticipation of this heavenly scene. That's why we do it now. That's why we value this. And so for us, again, several application points here. This is why for us, we have to keep our worship fresh. Keep it fresh. We love the hymns that were written hundreds of years ago. And once in a while, one of those will come into our worship. We love the songs that were written 20, 30, 40 years ago. There was a little tag at the end of the second song that if you've been around the church for a long time, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's about a 40-year-old chorus. It was great to bring it back and sing it again. Those songs were written into their culture and their time. Some of those songs can make the leap into our day, but most don't. So we, we change up our songs pretty regularly so that we're singing what is on the hearts of songwriters today who are experiencing what we're experiencing, who know what the world is like in, in the 21st century, who have our heart, who know our struggles, and who are singing it in the, in the language of music of our time. And so we want to keep it fresh. It's why we rotate songs so often. It's why we're always learning new songs. Secondly, we keep it holistic. That is to say, uh, we already say that this is unashamed adoration. We're not ashamed of worshiping God. And because we're not ashamed of worshiping Him, we want to bring every single part of who we are to the worship of our God. We want to engage the mind. We want to think about our worship. We want the lyrics to be intelligent. We want them to be smart. And we'll say in a moment, we want them to be accurate. Our worship should be thinking. It should be an act of the will. We should want to do it. And it should be challenging our will. We should be in the midst of worship going, I want to live more fully for Jesus. It should be an act of the heart. There should be an engagement of the emotions. Some, uh, Many of us were raised in contexts where it wasn't right to show emotion in worship. And that's a complete denial of, uh, of how God the Creator made us in His image. He made us to be emotive beings. If you're not a super emotive person, I'm not trying to force you into any kind of mold, but if you are an emotive person, it's okay to express sorrow, to express happiness, joy. It's okay to express your emotions in worship. And then we worship God with all of our strength. We express ourselves physically with our bodies by clapping, by raising our hands, by with our voices in singing and with appropriate dance moves, like just like appropriate ones, if you're able. Otherwise, well, that's fine. Here's the thing though no matter how we choose to worship Him, we never want the attention to go on us. We never want to be the center of anyone else's attention in worship. All the attention is supposed to go on Christ. So whatever I would do in worship, I don't want to be a distraction to anyone else. And you'll notice in that, since we're going to worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll notice the tie-in to the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And of course, that makes perfect sense because this is adoration, In worship, really the thing that's happening here is you're telling Jesus every week how much you love him. Every time you're worshiping him, you're literally just saying, Jesus, I love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love you without any shame whatsoever. Here's a third, keeping it theologically accurate. We're not going to sing lyrics that contain error, at times we've changed lyrics, we've changed words to make them more accurate, um, less confusing. Uh, we have changed lyrics recently. So if you're listening to the Spotify version of a certain worship song or watching it on YouTube and you hear the original artist doing it, and then you say, well, we changed the words. Yes, we did. Uh, to make it more theologically accurate. Sometimes artists, we love artists, we love artists. Sometimes artists take license, say things in ways we wouldn't say them. We want to just line that up a little bit more. We still love them. And the thing is that some of these artists, some of these songwriters, they're not exactly in our lane theologically, but if the song is in our lane theologically, we'll still use their song and believe that God gave that to them to give to the church. And so not everybody who writes songs is exactly where we would be theologically, and that's okay. And then fourth, uh, we're going to keep it simple. Our liturgy, if we can call it that. Our liturgy is very simple. We don't encumber it with a lot of extras, Uh, really our liturgy is sing, pray, preach, and that's about it. Sing, pray, and preach. All right, here's the third pillar, Uh, unceasing prayer. Uh, That phrase you can see would come from uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where Paul simply says, pray without ceasing, um, here 's the long form of it, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and of course, not just believing in it, but uh, practicing it, and that 's the underlying assumption behind that. if we believe in the power of prayer, we 're actually going to practice it. And I was thinking, um, and the verse that we attach to this um, pillar is in um, Ephesians chapter six, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians in that great passage about the armor of God, and we, we, you know most of us would understand uh, what's going on there that a soldier of Jesus Christ, a believer, is, has the armor of God given to uh, each one of us. We put on the armor of God. Then once you have the armor of God on, Paul writes this, praying at all times. You now have the sword in your hand. You, you, you're outfitted with all the armor, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, every kind of prayer that you can pray. To that end, he says, keep alert. That's what a good soldier would do. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication. That's another kind of prayer, supplication for all the saints. So we put on the armor of God. We have the sword of the spirit in our hands, but the battle itself, the fight itself is prayer. This is the spiritual warfare that we engage in as believers, and please understand that what's going on right now, the things that we can see, is not the real battle. The real battle is happening in the unseen realm. What we can see, me up front preaching, all of us in this building, looking around at one another, our Bibles open in front of us. That's what we can see. The unseen battle are the spiritual forces of God and of the evil one battling for your heart, trying to convince you whether or not you're going to hear the word of God and live it out this week. That's the spiritual battle. Whether someone's going to come to faith in Jesus Christ or not, that's going on in the unseen realm. Even as you hear my voice right now, we're engaged in spiritual warfare Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, though we're living our lives as human beings down here on planet earth, that's all he means by that, though we walk on earth as humans, the things that we can see, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So it's not really about all the things that we can see. It's not about how clever we are, what strategies we have or what programs are really going to hit the mark or how impressive our facilities are or how great our website is at the end of the day it's not about any of these outwardly visible things that we can see he goes on to say the same passage he says for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh they're not human things they're not things that we can see but they have divine power to destroy strongholds, those strongholds that are spiritual in our lives, that are keeping us from greater obedience to Christ or keeping us from becoming followers of Christ. And so the real work of this ministry is unseen. It's quiet. It's behind the scenes. It's unpretentious, and it's all but unrecognized. Let me tell you where the real battle is taking place. Every Sunday morning before any of you get here, one woman walks through this entire building. She goes into every single room and she prays for every person that's gonna be in every one of those rooms. She was here before eight o'clock this morning praying through the building, praying for you. Unseen, unpretentious, unrecognized, waging, war. It's dozens who lift up requests before the Lord, making supplication from the requests that you put in the connect form every week. Those are taken very seriously. They're compiled into a list. They're sent out to dozens of people who have committed every week to pray for those matters that are going on in your life. It's the elders in the privacy of the boardroom interceding for you in our biweekly meetings, it's the welcome team in a circle in the self-lobby before you arrive. Asking God to meet with the church and to use them in his service. It's the faithful dozen or so that meet on Tuesday mornings by Zoom to pray for the church. And it's the vast number who pray through the Prayer Matters email that comes out on Thursdays. It's the people in small groups praying. It's the simple prayer of a child in Harvest Kids in Tawana or of one of our teenagers in our youth ministry. They are praying. We are praying at all times. We are praying without ceasing. It's the very air in our lungs. It's the breath comes in and out of our bodies. It makes no sense at all that a soldier would put on all of the gear, put on all of the armor, have the sword in his or her hand, and then not breathe. The soldier would fall over and die, and even though the armor would be impressive and the weapon would be impressive, with, without breathing, the soldier dies. There is no fight. It doesn't matter how good the weapons are, how strong the shield is. And if we don't pray, because it's our very breath, if we don't pray, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how impressive the facility or the programs are or how hardworking we are. If we don't pray, nothing else matters. One more pillar, preaching, worship, prayer. Here's number four, unafraid witness. Sharing the good news of Christ, Jesus Christ, with boldness. Now again, we talked last week in our definition of disciple that Um, as we witness, because a a disciple witnesses for Christ, but as we witness, we should employ this twofold strategy as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Uh, The first strategy is to invite people to come and see. And we've said you can do that if you're watching on the live stream. You can invite them to watch the live stream. You can invite someone to come and see by coming to a worship service here. We grounded that in an invitation that was given in John chapter 1. There's come and see but that we also should be prepared to go and tell that there are some people who would never come. We need to go to them. We need to tell them the gospel. And so evangelism or witness, we understand evangelism or witness is the mission. We We must be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So then the question remains, what's stopping us from doing that? What stops us from saying to someone, come and see? What stops us from going and telling someone? Well, I want to suggest a couple of things that it's not. It isn't, for example, a misunderstanding of the mission. We understand the mission. If you've spent any time here at Harvest, you know the mission. The mission is to make disciples. The mission is to share the gospel. We've been saying the same thing for 20 years. You can't have been part of this church and not know that's the mission. And so the reason why we're not doing it isn't because we misunderstand the mission. It's not that. It isn't even this. It isn't that we don't understand the gospel and therefore can't explain it to someone. But I hear a lot of people kind of saying that. Well, I just don't know what I would say. I don't know how to explain the gospel. And I don't want to be rude about this. I mean, if you're a newer believer, you get a pass. But if you've known Jesus for any number of years and you've not taken the time to actually learn how to explain the gospel, that's just laziness. It's just because you have, you've done all kinds of training in your workplace. You've read all kinds of manuals. You went to school. The gospel is so simple. Children can explain it. So if you don't know how to explain the gospel, you've just been lazy about it. You just haven't learned it. And even if, even if you say I couldn't explain it, I think you probably know how to use Google. Google. You could say to somebody, hey, let's just go to Google right now, how to accept, I'm guessing Google's going to fill in Jesus. And you would find all kinds of resources there that would explain the gospel and how to come to faith in Christ, and then all you'd have to do is point at the screen. In fact... The, the, the little microsite, hbf.in, uh, hbc.info that we use, that has the sermon notes and has the connect form and all the things that you use to, to get here, or if you've, oh, you're watching on the live stream, there's a spot there that talks about the five gospel words. It's on our website, it's on our microsite, it's available too. You could just go through the five gospel words. But you see, like I really believe, it's, it's not that we don't know what the mission is, and it's not that we don't know how to explain the gospel or where to find the resources. Those aren't the reason that we don't do this. The real reason is fear, isn't it? The real reason is, is fear. We're afraid of what people are gonna think of us. We'd rather just lay low. We're afraid of losing friendships, relationships with family. We're afraid of repercussions. We're afraid of whatever persecution is in Canada. We're afraid of that. It's not much. It's fair. The verse that we attach to this pillar, by the way, it, it's actually two verses that come right after the one we attach to the prayer pillar. Right after the verse on prayer, again, armor of God, verse on prayer, and then, and then we hear this. This is the, the prayer that Paul wants them to pray for him. And this is the edge of the battlefront. Paul says, pray for all the saints. And then he says, verses 19 and 20, and also for me. So pray for everyone, but pray for me. But look at the prayer request. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I want to be able to witness to people. I want opportunities and I I want to be able to do that. But I want to do it boldly. He says, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm in jail for actually doing that very thing. So I want you to pray for me that I would have boldness to keep doing it. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Twice he uses the word boldly. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying... Pray that I won't be afraid. Pray that I won't shrink back. Pray that I won't think about the consequences of sharing the gospel. Pray that I will be bold to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I'll tell everyone about Jesus. That he came to this earth and took on human flesh. That he gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. That he was raised on the third day to new life. And that if you come by faith alone, confessing your sin, he will forgive you and save you. Would you pray that I would do that? Now listen, if Paul needed that prayer for boldness, how much more do you and I need that prayer? How much more does the reality really just hit us that we're just afraid to share it with people? See, we want to keep this gospel front and center in our lives. No other gospel. We don't want to be distracted. We want to stay in our lane as a church and as disciples. We want the gospel to be the center of all we do and all that we are. We want to make more disciples of Jesus, and that's not going to happen unless we tell them. Unless we invite them to come and see, unless we go and tell, it's not going to happen. Paul knew this. When he wrote to the Romans, here's what he said to them. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are people going to get saved unless they have an opportunity to believe? But how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? If they never hear about Jesus, they're never going to be able to believe. They're never going to be able to get saved. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And Paul wasn't really talking about preaching, preaching like this, because he's in jail. He was just hoping that he'd have opportunities to share the message of the gospel with the guards or, or with another prisoner or someone who came to visit. How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, who share the gospel, who go and tell. This city and this county, our country is filled with people who need Jesus Christ. That's why this pillar is among our top values and priorities. People all around us are grasping for anything that's going to make this life make sense to them. In the last two years, we've used the word before, the last two years have been terribly disruptive for people. But God ordained the disruption. Do you believe that? God ordained this disruption, and he hasn't changed the mission. It's still the same. Christian, we need to capitalize on this disruption to lead people to Jesus Christ. We have the words of life for them. So let's be unafraid witnesses. Boldly share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our four pillars. Let's commit. If you're you're new to harvest, my invitation to you is commit to these pillars with us. Come join us in this mission. Throw yourself into it. And if if you've been at harvest for quite a while, recommit to these things. Maybe there's been some drift in your own life and to come back to them and say, you know what? I need to come back to these things in my life. Because these are the values and priorities of Christ himself. Let me pray for us, and uh, then we're going to invite the team to come up and uh, pray, uh, to lead us in a final song as I pray. Father, we are uh, so very uh, grateful again for uh, your word to us. Father, we need this word constantly to ensure that we're staying in the lane that you've given to us as a church. So, Father, help us to focus again on the mission that you've entrusted to us on worship, on the word, and Father, enhance and growing in our relationship with you through prayer. And Father, where we have uh, fallen back, I, I pray, God, where we've drifted off. Father, I pray that we would repent and come back to you. Father, our hope and desire is for this church to make an impact in this community. And as you give us liberty, Father, around the world. And so God, help us with that. May your Holy Spirit move in this place in awesome and incredible ways. May there be that sense of awe. Father, may you do the unexplainable so that when we leave this place each week, it's obvious that you've been at work. It's been a manifestation of your Spirit in our midst. And it hasn't been our effort. God, these things we submit to you in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.